So we are in a series called Discipline. And what we are doing is we're looking at what Paul had to say to the people of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So if you guys want, if you have your Bible with you, you can open up to that um, if you want to follow along with the notes. Um, they will be on the screen, uh, but you can also scan the QR codes that are all around um, and that you will get to the notes as well. Uh, where Paul is, what, what Paul is trying to do is he's ex- trying to explain to these people uh, this idea, uh, how to deal with idols in their culture. Um, which was so prevalent uh, all around them, and, and they kind of gives them some teaching on their journey to try their best to become more like Jesus. Um, so our theme this entire year, um, something we're trying to go towards, teaching towards, we have a goal as a church to become more faithful and obedient as followers of Jesus. That is something we said back in January. And, and quickly we did this study where we were trying to talk about how we were going to go from being a follower of Jesus to being a disciple of Jesus. And this is something that the Corinthians are on their journey as well. But if, if it's okay, I'd like to put some um, maybe non-Christianese, as I like to say, language behind this. Uh, we are talking about this year is we're trying to set down a foundation to be a disciple of Jesus, or maybe a modern term. Um, we're trying to set down a path to be more faithful and obedient apprentices of Jesus in our life. Uh, we often talk about how we need to share Jesus. Uh, we need to go into all the world and, and make disciples. Um, but we often forget the first part of what we are walking through, is, is whereas individuals, we are supposed to become like Jesus. Um, we need to learn the ways of following Jesus. And it's, it's, it's a lot more than, than, than just coming to church on Sunday morning, um, but it's actually a way of living. And that's what we are on the journey of slowly transforming ourselves to. And we're trying to make this journey together about putting into practices the way of Jesus. Last week, Drew brought up this great idea of a firm foundation. Now, that's more than just a great song that, we, that Lisa just led just a little bit ago, but it's this ancient idea that comes from how they would have built their homes and their businesses and everything. So whenever Jesus brought this idea up in Matthew 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, if you're familiar with that, their minds would have immediately gone to this idea. So recently, uh, as you have realized outside, it is starting to get a lot more warm. And, and that's something that I love. Um, that's when we get to go outside. We get to cut our grass. And for us men, we get to make the lawn look perfect from the, from the road as we get rid of all of the issues around. I don't know if all guys are like this, but this is my dominion. It must look great. I must make this look good. Uh, but for, uh, for us, we don't have to worry too much about the weather. Yeah, sometimes at the beginning we get some crazy storms, some crazy wind as we experienced a couple weeks ago here at church. Uh, or if you, if you were around in Kentucky just a, a month ago, we had some crazy tornado-like winds come through, but that's kind of the extent of the things we need to worry about here. Um, if you live in Lexington, Nicholsville, or surrounding counties, we don't really have this, uh, this issue with a lot of water coming up and having some sort of catastrophic thing with water, where, where, the, where the floods rise and there's mudslides. That's just something that we just don't have to deal with very much. In Utah, 
Something really cool has happened this year. Um, a lot of my friends who I grew up with that love to ski and snowboard have been talking about this for a long time. They have received, uh, at the time they thought was a blessing, of the most snow they've ever received before in Utah. So you have all these people from all over the world drastically flying to Utah to get the best powder available. Everyone who are professional skiers, snowboarders, has been flying to Utah to train because it's the best climate. It's just been fantastic for this season for Utah, especially traveling in. It's been great. But also with all of this snow, the snow has to go somewhere at some point. So over the past couple months, they have been dealing with exactly what Jesus was talking about. This, this very quick rise of waters, this very quick of mudslides, where there is more water than the foundation can handle, and slowly by slowly, there's been houses that have slowly drifted down and people have lost everything in these mudslides. This is what they would have been dealt with in the Middle East and what Jesus was talking about. Randomly, as though it is a desert, but randomly the, the, the winds would blow, the, the water would rise, and they would have these things called flash floods, which we don't have to deal with here specifically, but it would wipe out entire houses. So Jesus kind of alludes to this idea and kind of... Uh, uh, brings people to that mental picture, because everybody would have known somebody that dealt with this, that if you do not build your house on a solid foundation, if you just build your house on the sand when the literal uh, waters rise, when the winds start to blow, if you do not have that solid foundation, then you will lose everything in a very short time. So Jesus is relating to that idea of building a house. I'm going to read that scripture to you real quick. In Matthew 7, it says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. The rains come down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on a rock. But anyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on a sand. The rains come down, the streams rose, and the winds beat, blow and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus is saying if you have a firm foundation in him, if you are connected to him, if you put into practice what Jesus said and what his teaching are, then when the flash flood comes in your life, whether literally or, or, or just emotionally, or something pops up in your life, if you lose a job or a family member or something traumatic happens in your life that just pops up immediately, if you have that firm foundation, you will put your faith in something that will last and you will not fall. Because if we do not put our faith in Jesus and we do not have that firm foundation as Jesus talks about at the end of, 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 of Matthew 7, as Drew talked about last week, we will be like the Israelites, that as they left into going towards the promised land, we are tempted in every direction as we try to follow God and we will fall. And this is what, how Paul puts it, starting in verse 14, if you've been waiting for me to get to this point. In 1 Corinthians 10, 14, this is, this is Paul's response to everything that's going out in the firm foundation. He says this, Therefore, dear friends, flee from idolatry. 
What Paul is referring to in this moment is something called the Idol Feast. And this is something that would have come around every single year. And the Idol Feast was something that people look forward to going to. If you were somebody or anybody, you would have been at this Idol Feast. What they would do is they would take animals that were sacrificed to all types of gods, and they would bring them to a central location, and they would have fellowship and social party all surrounding the eating and drinking, all surrounding these gods in Corinth. And if you were anybody, you would have showed up to this festival. Um, You would have partaked in in the festival, especially if you wanted to increase your political power, if you wanted to increase your social standing, if you just moved back into town, or if you moved to that town for the first time, you would have gone to this to try to meet friends or maybe find community in some sort of way. Um, if you had a business, if you had a startup business, and you wanted to tell people about this, you would have gone to this to increase your business uh, in the, the city of Corinth. You would have set up your table and had your business cards and had free samples and everything. This would have been a part of your yearly celebration. So Paul is using uh, what we see in Exodus, the same uh, language that you see when is the Israelites were fleeing Pharaoh. If you, if you remember that story where the Israelites uh, were under slavery for, for 400 plus years, and they left Pharaoh to receive freedom. They left Pharaoh and, and Egypt to make sure that they could survive. And Paul is using that same language here, flee from idolatry, to show the posture that we should have from removing ourselves from idolatry. You should run as though your life depended on it. Even running into the unknown, as the Israelites did, is better than being around that. He says flee. In a culture that is run by our modern idols, I will let you fill in the blank of what those are in your life. What we do is we will drop absolutely everything in an instant to engage or plan out our entire weeks or even months, maybe even our day-to-day, to, to make sure that we entertain or follow these things in our life. And as we read this 1 Corinthians, we kind of have to put into question our day-to-day life. How do we become more like Jesus if idols are so prevalent all around us? Tim Keller recently passed away this week, but he had a great quote on this. I'd love to read this. When anything in your life is an absolute requirement for your happiness or self-worth, it is essentially an idol, something you are actually worshiping. When such a thing is threatened, your anger is absolute. Your anger is actually the way the idol keeps you in its service, in its chains. Therefore, if you find that despite all efforts to forgive, your anger and bitterness cannot subside, you may need to look deeper and ask, what am I defending? What is so important that I cannot live without? It may be that until some inordinate desire is indeed, and and confronted, you will not be able to master your anger. I think he said that wonderfully. There is a spiritual practice um, that is is an ancient practice called fasting. 
I don't know if you guys have ever partook in this or, or known somebody who has tried fasting uh, before, um, but it is a spiritual uh, ancient practice, and for about no- 1,900 years after Jesus, um, Christians all around the world would actually do this two times a week. Um, but, but in the past 40 years, it has gone um, from a wayside. Um, but basically, two times a week, it was a common practice from sunup to sundown. Twice a week, you would abstain from food all around and remove the distractions of your life, which um, for most of us is our stomach, and replace it with that connection of Jesus. It was a way to center your life and to control your life to make sure idols or things in your life were not directing your life, but we were to follow Jesus. And when I uh, learned about this for the first time, I did not grow up in the church, so I didn't understand these, pra- these ancient practices that people have been doing for thousands of years. Um, I was like, I'm going to try this. Um, and so I went to my mentor, and I, and I asked him if, if I should do this, and I, and I asked, what's the best course and recommended of Jesus? And this is what he responded with. He said, if you want to do this for the first time, if you want to do this, you will find out what your first God in your life really is. And I said, my first God, what, is, what does that mean? I, I respond, well, I gave my life to Jesus. Of course, Jesus is the center of my life, correct? And my entire life has been surrendered by him since I followed him. And he said, well, let's just see how it goes. So I, I came up with, with a plan on my day off, which was Friday. Um, this was before we had kids. My wife would go off to work and I was at home. Um, so I was like, I'm just going to take it easy. I've never gone without food before in my life that I've known of. I'm just going to uh, sit around and listen to Christian music. I might uh, play some games on my phone. I might read a book, and we'll just see how it goes. So I, I told my wife what I was going to do. I said goodbye to my wife, and I, I started throughout my day. And it got to about noon before I started to realize I became frustrated about absolutely everything that was going on in my life. You know, my phone buzzed. I just like start feeling irritated. Um, it, I, I started thinking, you know, it, it got too hot in the room. I started feeling irritated, turned down the AC, then it got too cold, and I started just feeling agitated. Uh, I made a mistake of turning on the TV, and it was the news, and I just got even more uh, frustrated. But what did me in, and I realized that I needed to do something about this, is I walked into the room, and my cat was sitting on my bed, and it looked at me, and it just, I wanted to throw the cat out the window. And I realized that my wife is going to be home soon, and if I have this posture when she walks in the door, I think she might kill me. So I, I decided to eat. And she, and she walked in, and she said, so how did your first day of fasting go? And I said, well, I realized that my first God won, my stomach. I realized that I cannot control my stomach. It really does dictate every part of my life. And I realized in that moment of what really controlled my life, or maybe one of many things that really controlled my life, that I really tried to put something into practice. But what I realized there is that word practice is we need to take to heart. You're not going to win the first time. It takes, it takes years and days and months of continual practice in your life. So at the end of your life, or as you're living your life, we are able to be called wise and not of the way of the foolish, as Jesus called these people, who did not put his practices into place. But maybe even a modern term, if you look into the Greek, maybe we would call these people stupid, of people who do not follow the ways of Jesus, that it is dumb 
not to follow in his ways, but it is, but it is great and wise to follow of his. Maybe it's a bit harsh, but my Jesus calls people stupid. See, 1 Corinthians, as we continue, says this in 10, 15, you can follow along here. Paul continues, it says, I speak to sensible people here. Judge for yourself what I say. It is not the, the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks, give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ. And it is not the, the bread that we break a participation in which in the body of Christ. I love how Paul starts this off because it just kind of bends to my maybe um, humor in this way that he calls the accessible people, um, which probably would have been a slow blow to the people that he talked that Jesus talked to in Matthew seven as calling them foolish as people who do not follow the way of him. But the people who do participate in this idol feast, he would have realized, and they would have realized, oh, he just we're not wise, but we are foolish indeed. But Paul here is saying, don't you give thanks to God when you participate in the breaking of bread and wine. He, what he's talking about is communion here, something that we just did together as a family. He's saying, don't you thank God, don't you thank God every single time when you take communion, when you take, partake in the, the breaking of the blood, or breaking of the body and the shed of the blood to escape the idols all around? Didn't Jesus give you a way out in your life? So why do you keep trying to go back to the idols that you were delivered from previously? Even though Jesus has given you a way out, has given you freedom, why do you keep running back to the ways that you know? Why do you keep running back to the old patterns of your life? But Paul uses this word in the middle of it, the word participation. In the Greek, this word would have been understood as some sort of ownership. That Paul is saying that you have ownership in the participation. You have ownership in the breaking of bread and the drinking of wine. You have participation within the body of Christ. You have ownership. You have connection to it. In, in the commentaries that I read, it talked and gave an understanding of the ownership that you would have had in marriage. That you are married, that you are tethered in participation with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That it's not just a grab-as-you-go, it's not a landmark that you can just go to whenever you want, but it's something that you stay connected to and connected to others. That the example of marriage, that once you have that covenant with that person, you need to stay and participate in that one and that one alone. I promise you, if you want to avoid major heartbreak in your life, uh, you don't want to mingle with somebody outside of your spouse. They will kill you. So yes, you have a foundation in Jesus, but you still, you still, still, you still have to deal with the world around you. That even though our, our strong desire to just escape the world around us and to remove ourselves and even to become maybe like the monks in the Middle East where they just remove themselves and just are around their Christian culture. That is something that we're not called to do. That we are supposed to go out into the world and make disciples and share the good news of Jesus. So we do not need to be scared and just hide, but we do need to go into the world. And Paul is addressing that here. He continues on to explain this participation on how we are supposed to engage with culture. 
It says this, consider the Israelite, consider the people of Israel. Do not these who eat the sacrifice participate in the altar? Do I mean when that food's sacrifice to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifice of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have in part, uh, a part in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are you trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are you stronger than He? Paul, in this moment, wants to be very clear and make us understand that you cannot participate in two things at once. You cannot have ownership in two things at once. Your soul cannot be connected to two things at once, but only one thing at a time. You cannot participate in two gods, and if you do try to do that, your heart will be pulled in the direction that is most self-centered. The reason that Paul is bringing this up in this moment is because he understands that these people of Corinth are trying their best to, to follow the ways of Jesus. They are trying their best to pinpoint everything about their life, and they're asking questions on, is this, can we do this and still follow the way of Jesus? So they're asking the point of this question, at this point, can we mingle with these people in their food as, as, as well as participating in the ways of Jesus? And what Paul is saying is, no, you cannot participate in the ways of demons or other isles and participate in the ways of Jesus. He says, flee from all those things. If it comes before God, then flee from it and never look back. So what is the whole purpose of this for us? Why does it matter if we go and participate in the party with other gods that are around us? Even if we don't mingle with other gods, we're just there. We're not going to give our hearts to the other gods. Even when culture puts things in front of us, can we still engage in the things of this culture? Or Jesus, uh, or Paul uses the term the world, and follow Jesus the same way? This is so important because when Jesus bought us as a sacrifice, He placed us in the new direction of holiness. And what holiness means is to be set apart. To be taken out of the normal that everything else is placed in and set aside for a different meeting and direction in your life. Paul says eating with demons is not holy. You can say that Paul is, is, is leaning on the direction that basically if anything in your life is not Jesus, you probably need to look at it and see what is the purpose or the posture of your heart towards it. In 2 Timothy 1, 7-9, it says this, For the Spirit, the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but give us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as a prisoner, Paul talking. Rather, join me in this, the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us into a holy life 
not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Because of this grace and because of the sacrifice, Jesus removes you and sets you free from the bondages and makes you a new creation. And he actually calls you an adopted son and daughter and gives you new life and gives you a new pattern of life that is the pattern of Jesus. He sets you on a new foundation or what Paul says, a strong foundation. The Corinthians took the teaching of Jesus so seriously that they were willing to ask the questions in their own life, even the most social, even the most beneficial to their business, even the most beneficial to just them being in their social circles. Everyone out of everyone would have been a part of this sacrificing to demons and in the fellowship surrounding this. But they took it so serious, the teaching of Jesus, when Jesus said, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock, that putting the way of Jesus into practice was the main focal point of this church in Corinth. So how do you become more faithful and obedient? The Corinthians are trying to figure that out in this moment. And the response is Paul saying, you need to start putting the words of Jesus into practice and see what comes out at the end. For them, it was the removing of their old way of living. It was removing their old pattern of life. And what they did is as they put into practice the waves of Jesus, they realized what came out on the other end was this desire to have fellowship with their friends that were worshiping idols. They realized that idols that had a huge part of their life, and they thought it was worthy enough of asking the question about it. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. So the practice this week, the practice of the firm foundation this week and, and what we read about in Matthew 7 is this. Using the words of Paul here, participating in the things that of God. So the questions that you can ask here are, what am I participating in that is not of God? What am I participating in? What am I connected with? What do I have ownership in? In things that are not holy. In my regular rhythms of life, as I get up and go to work and eat and, and interact with different people, what is my regular rhythms of life pointing me in the direction towards? And if there's anything that I miss, I ask that God remove those things in my life and I can slowly put into practice ways of removing that. Or in the words of Paul, flee from idolatry. Just like when I, I didn't feed myself for two hours and got mad at my cat. What your body is drawn towards, what its strong desire, whether it's weekly or daily or monthly basis, is a good way to know what you are participating in. Drew read this scripture last week, but I think it's right that we end understanding that when you have a firm foundation, when you participate in Jesus, you aren't alone. 
That's the great part about being a Christian. Not only do you have a social circle, which is your church or your community that is participating in Jesus with you, that is pulling you towards and pushing you towards hopefully the life of Jesus and the ways of Jesus, having spiritual discipline in your life to make sure that we as a whole, as a body, become more and more like Jesus as we live our life. You are not alone because it says if you have that firm foundation, God will give you a way out. But if you want that way out, you have to, be that part, you have, to have that participation with Him. Drew read this last week, but I'm going to reread it. 1 Corinthians 10, 12-13 says this, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will provide a way out so that you can endure it. The only way you will know the way out, once again, is participating in the relationship with Jesus. By putting into practice what Jesus said and following the ways that he, that he has put in place like a wise man who built his house on a firm foundation and not like a fool that has just haphazardly put his house on anything without realizing what is beneath it. Because when the rain comes and the storms come and the winds blow against your foundation of everything about your existence, we can stand firm because of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you guys to stand and pray with me. And I'm going to ask that God reveals in us this week as we participate in the ways of Jesus to make sure that, one, we stand on that firm foundation, we trust in Him, and we participate in the ways of Jesus so that if anything comes out at the end that is not of Him, we can remove that to the best of our ability. So God, as we come before You in this moment, as we've studied, the, as, as Paul has directed us and we have studied that in worship to you, I pray that we set everything in our life a firm foundation on your son Jesus and the ways of him. That as we participate in, in, in the ways of Jesus, whatever comes out that is not of you, I pray that we remove it. Or in the words of Paul, we flee from everything that is not you. We flee from everything that is directing our life. God be with us. Thank you so much for your son and the grace that he has given us. And I ask this all in your son's name. Amen.